Tonight I'm going to share with you out of the book of, of Judges. We're going to look at the life of Gideon. We're going to talk about Gideon. In fact, so I'm calling this Lessons from the Life of Gideon so that we can begin to look at some of the things we can learn uh, as a result of his life. And one of the things about this is that it's going to be virtually impossible to exhaust all there is concerning uh, his life tonight. So we're going to get a little snippets uh, that I believe would be pertinent to where we are and the things we need to examine here tonight. So Father, we pray that even as we delve into your word, that your word will take root within each heart and that our lives will be enriched as a result of having an open heart to you. We thank you and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Lessons from the life of Gideon. And as we think about this, in light of the other things I've been sharing, uh, here in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, because we talk about the call of Gideon. Gideon was called by the Lord, and we're going to talk about that in a while, but in light of the other teachings, we talked about calling and election. It says, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, this has to do with the life of Gideon. In fact, we begin to see his life uh, depicted through this particular scripture in the New Testament based upon who he was and how he was called because we talked about not many that would appear to qualify, be qualified or appear to be the ones that would be selected or the ones that are called or are selected. Gideon was, as we look at his life, he was a military leader. He was also a judge. But in addition to that, he was a prophet. And the thing that qualified him the most was not his pedigree, but his the fact his character was the thing that qualified Gideon. Because if we really want to be honest with ourselves, character does uh, outweigh nobility. It comes above nobility. You can be, as the scripture says, not many that are noble, not many who are wise. You see, in fact, character even, uh, it, it excels or goes beyond wisdom. It goes beyond might. All of these things, but the thing that I believe that would be paramount in the life of one that is called is his character. And I think that's what God is uh, emphasizing even today, right here and now. There's a lot to be told of Gideon in his name, even through his name, because his name Gideon, the name Gideon, he who cuts down, that's uh, the name Gideon, but he wasn't just called Gideon. He had several other names, but I believe that this was progressive based upon who he 
is and how he functioned, we begin to see other names attached to Gideon. He was also named Zerubbabel. And the word Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, and you see the end of it, kind of help you understand what that name is all about, is one who is a contender with Baal. Uh, end of his name, Baal, Zerubbabel, or Rubabel. He's a contender with Baal. And then there was another name given to Gideon, and that was Jerubesheth. Uh, Jerubesheth, that's J-E-R-U-B-E-S-H-S-H-E-T-H, Jerubesheth. And that meant let the idols of confusion defend itself. I like that one. Let the idols, let the idol of confusion defend itself. He was really saying that these idols, in fact, if you really want to be candid, any of the idols are really idols of confusion. Because what happens, uh, I think the scripture helps us understand that all of these other gods are not, even though they, uh, their spirits behind them, but they in and of themselves are not. And then we look at this word because we see where he was contender with Baal and uh, by him being called Zerubbabel. And then we talked about even him, uh, the confusion, even in relation to idols. I believe one of the, uh, the gods or the idols that he fought strongly against was Baal. That was one. He contended with Baal. And who is Baal? Baal was the nature god, the nature's god. When we talk about, and we have a lot of people today worshiping nature and, 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 and the like. And here Baal was one. He was a nature god. And he was also, uh, he was known as being the creator of the universe. Not that he did this. You see how he's in competition with the Lord God because he was viewed as the God of nature or the nature God, because here they worship nature to a strong extent, because you worship Baal, you're really worshiping nature. And then when they looked at it, they saw him as the creator of the universe, that the whole universe was made by Baal. And you know what God said concerning himself, I am the Lord thy God, and thou shalt have no other gods, small g, besides me, when he says uh, before me, but then we know it also includes besides me. He is saying that there should be no other God. So we talk about God as creator. Now we have a little g in competition with the big g. Instead of God who did create all things, they're giving uh, credit to uh, one that is constructed in the minds of the people as being the creator of all things. So now we begin to look at the people that uh, he was dealing with, the Midianites and the Moabites. Uh, they, they were united against their common enemy, and that was Israel. And why was Israel their common enemy? Because of Israel's God. <laughs> it was really the God that put Israel at odds with all the others who worshiped any other gods. And, and believe me, that's true today. If you really want to know what this is really all about, there is a battle over who God really is. Who is God? Who is God? Is God this, that, or the other? 
or who is the true and living God. And, and it is ours to worship the true and living God. Because what happened, we look at geographical locations. We look at places that were occupied by people. And that's, it's very easy to adapt to the God of that people group, the God of that nation, the God of that environment. And that was happening in this particular time because not only was it the Midianites that worshipped Baal, but now we begin to see where Israel had begun to adapt uh, the, the gods or worship the gods of the Midianites. And we go to Judges chapter 6 verse 1 and I'm going to show you what happened. It says here in verse 1 of 6th chapter of Judges, it says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. The children of Israel did evil. And it has to do with worship. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. You see, and we look at the evil that they had done. It says, and the Bible goes on, it says, so as a result of that, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian for seven years. And the hand of the Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites, the children of Israel, made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So that it was whenever, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Now, let's look at this. It talks about how they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, if you go back into history and you begin to look at the book of Numbers, then you'll see where they had been in the past because of that environment, many of the men had been seduced by Midianite women. They were seduced by Midianite women. You can imagine your, uh, by sight, or whatever it was that was attractive women, and then what happens, the Israelites, that's why they were talking about the separations that took place. It wasn't just racial as many would think it was or is today, but it had to do with gods, that if you are engaged in sexual activity or if you begin to, and, and it wasn't marriage as much, but it was uh, the fact that they were uh, uh, engaged in sexual activities with the Midianite women. Now, now look at what happens as a result of that. As we begin to look at this particular activity that was taking place, he says, so it wasn't just, we see the sexual activities taking place, but then we see where they were involved in their gods, uh, with their gods. So they sacrificed to their gods. So as a result of it, if you look at the book of Numbers, there were some consequences, there were some penalties that came against uh, the children of Israel. Plagues, a plague went out before the people. You see that in the book of Numbers, where a plague broke out among the people. And, and, and uh, as a result of that plague, many were sick and died as a result of this evil thing that they had, in fact, done. But in this particular instance, it wasn't the plague it's alone, but it says, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Midians for seven years. They're, they're the penalty, the consequence of them uh, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, he said that they were delivered to the hand of the Midians. In other words, the people that they, the area that they had moved into, uh, the Midianites were at a place of 
of, of uh, taking or, or, or having authority over them. In the hands of the, they prevailed against Israel. They fought against them and Midianites prevailed against Israel because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made for themselves, look at what happens, dens, the caves, and the strongholds which were in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come up and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. So now we see wars breaking out uh, against the children of Israel from various fronts. And all of this had to do with the fact that they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. So, so now we begin to look at uh, uh, wars and we look at the, the outbreaks of wars. We look at the fact that sometimes a nation that may be one of the weakest nations can defeat a nation that supposed to be strong. And we wonder, what is this all about? How could these things be? Well, when you realize that, that God has something to do with who wins and who loses uh, in, in these battles here. It says, so what happened as a result of that, they, they, they camped out, the encampments, not only did it affect them in battle, but it also affected their, their loss of freedom, the loss of life, and I believe it, and it also economic ruin. If you read further on, you begin to see where it even brought about economic ruin. It said they camped against, destroyed the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for it. So now we begin to see where there was uh, the famine. We begin to see where they, they didn't have what it took to even survive. Neither sheep nor oxen nor donkey for they would come up with their livestock and their tent, coming in as numerous as locusts before they and their camels were without number. And they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel finally cried out to the Lord. Did you see? All of these things had broken out because of their compromise. All of these things were happening because of the fact that they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And their evil in the sight of the Lord was the fact that they were finding themselves worshiping the gods of the Midianites, in particular uh, Baal. Baal worship uh, was, was, was involved. So as a result of it, we began to see them. In other words, Baal couldn't save them. Baal had no strength to save them, even though they're worshiping Baal. They thought that, okay, here's the God of, the, of, of, of uh, nature. Here's the God of creation. But then God says, if you have confidence in that, then let the God that you worship save you. He says that to us even today. If that's who you worship, let's see how much strength your God has. So he says, let that God save you. So now, when they finally came to the end, and they began to look at, the impoverished, they look at how everything was being lost and all these things that they had beforehand. Now they are, they're, they're, they're losing things and they're getting behind on all things. So eventually, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. You, you see, uh, pressure. The pressure brought them to the place where they found it. You see, when people have it very easy, when things are supposedly going well, you don't see the fact that it's not as well as you think it is, but when we think, when people think that things are going well, oftentimes they don't have time for God and, or, or they begin to worship the God of choice. You, you realize these idols are still out here. 
They're still out here. Don't think that it's just uh, as it was in that day, those who had the statues, but the statues represented mindsets and uh, the disposition of the people. All of this was a part of the worship. So now what happens, the Lord steps back. This is what God does. He says, if that's who you want to worship, this is how you want to worship, he stepped back and let you have it. He said, go for it, go for it, because I will be your Lord if you let me be your Lord. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to be your Lord unless you give me permission to be your Lord. You, you see, I am God, which means I have sovereign rule over all things, but as far as being your Lord, lording over you, he says, I'm not going to do it without permission. So he steps back, let them have it their way, and then things begin to fall in the midst of their distress, they called out to the Lord. They call out to the Lord. Now, now I did some study on this word Baal again. I looked at it, uh, and we, we gave you some of the thing, but there were different names or attachments to Baal because we understand he's a God of nature, he's a God of creation in the eyes, in the minds of those that worshiped him. But there was a God in particular that they worshiped, particularly among the Midianites and the rest of them. It was, it was Baal Peor. It was Baal Peor, P-E-O-R, Baal Peor. Now, this word P-E-O-R means opening. It means opening. And, and what it's saying, so, so uh, another way of putting it is that the Baal of Peor is the Lord of the opening. That's who he was. He was to them the God of the opening. So in other words, it, it, they were looking at it as being, now we have an entryway into blessings. We have an entryway into receiving the things that we need, the things that we seek after, because Baal Peor is the God of the opening. If we worship this God, this God will open doors for us. Are you hearing something familiar? This God will open doors for us. So, so we know the Lord says, I have placed before you what? An open door that no man can close. That's the Lord God. But they saw Baal Peor as the God that could open doors for them. In other words, now we want to get, we want to have an advantage. We want to make some progress. How can we make progress? Whatever you place your confidence in to open doors for you, then that becomes, you see, it, it becomes, we see Baal, Peor, it becomes a God unto you. So God, Peor, is still being worshipped to a certain extent. Now, now, understand what the devil does. The devil is always looking for an opening. That's what he looks for. He's looking for an opening. You, you see, I like what Jesus Christ said, that, that the prince of uh, this world has come, but he's found nothing in me. You, you see, he says, so he's looking for an opening. He's trying to find an opening into your life. Where are the cracks that, that are still there within your life? He's seeking cracks that he can crawl through. Remember roaches and, and, and rats? What they do, they look for cracks, don't they? If you have an opening, they come in. He says, so now what happens, he is saying he's looking for an opening so he can get into your life. He's checking you out, whatever it is, attitude, disposition. It could be some, some, some lack of character, lack of, you see, whatever it is. He's looking for an opening. He's trying to find something in you that, that, that is of him that he can use. That's what the devil's looking for. What is of him that he can use in you? 
And, and understand, if, if it's not of God, it's of the devil. Attitude, disposition, it's of the, got to call it what it is. You, you see, the devil it will try to use it, all of us or any of us. And let's not, you remember, remember, remember what happened even with Peter. Peter received that great revelation. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. But as soon as he received that revelation, then he wanted to tell Jesus how to run his business. Jesus said, where are you going, Jesus? We're going to Jerusalem. Why are you going there? To die. Let it be far from you that you go to Jerusalem. What did Jesus say to him? He said, he said get behind me, Satan. He said, the devil is entered into this thing here, this environment, and he's more mindful of the things of this world than the things of God. You, you see, so never, whatever it is, the devil uh, will enter in and offer a suggestion. He will offer, uh, a, a give you an opportunity because he's looking for an opening. He's looking for an opening. So now, the thing about, go back to rats and roaches, the thing about rats and roaches is that they're infectious. They're infectious. They don't just come in. They don't just come in and, and sit down and maybe, maybe uh, if you leave a little food out and eat a little food. No, they're going to they're try to infect the whole environment. They're going to try to infect, infect the whole environment so that now what happens, the whole environment now is infected and diseases and all kind of other things break out as a result of them having their way once they enter in. So that's what you have to understand. Don't let them in because they're infectious. So now we begin to see this thing infecting uh, uh, the whole household because there was a door. There was a door opening. And you wonder, why is this person acting this way? Why is it that, that these things are happening the way they're happening? Always check and see, was there a door left ajar? Was there a crack within your life so that the enemy could enter in? And if it is, don't, don't get to the place of saying, well, uh, it's there, so there's nothing I can do about it. No. What do you have to do? Go before the Lord, repent, so that that crack can be mended, so that you don't give continue to give place to the devil. If you gave place to him, you got to stop giving place to the devil. So we look at them. So they lost lives and lost their freedom. Economic ruin was taking place among them. So now, in verse 7 it says, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up, reminding them, I brought you up out from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppress you and drove them out before you and gave you this land, their land, now, now, understand what he's saying. He took them back to remind them of who he is. See, we get, we get so used to certain things happening, we start thinking it's us. How did we get here? How did these things happen? How did those things occur? And we, draw, we grow accustomed to the environment of blessings. Then we begin to take those blessings for granted. So what happens when that pressure was brought to bear, he says, now go back and rethink but in order to rethink those things, he sent a prophet. 
Now, the prophetic word was really given to serve as a reminder. It, it, it's like a wake-up call. It, it's like a wake-up call. Let me, let me, there's a spiritual awakening that's occurring to those that can receive the prophetic word. God speaks in such a way to say, wake up, church. Wake up, church. Understand, because you don't know why things are happening the way they're happening. You don't know why these things are falling apart the way they're falling apart. You don't understand why you're having the trouble that you're having. So he sends a prophet a prophetic word as a wake-up call. And he says, he says, now, the word that came, he says, I want you to know that I am, I am the Lord your God. Now, now, that's important and significant to understand. He didn't say, I'm the Lord the God, but I'm still the Lord your God. I'm still your God. Even though you messed up, even though you've gone the wrong way and you're moving in the wrong direction, I am still the Lord your God. You don't acknowledge me as that. It's almost like saying, let me remind you, put your ring back on, you're married. You're married to me. Put your ring back on. Understand, don't take your ring off. Don't act like you're single. But you're married to me. He said, I'm the Lord your God. And he says, to, and, and, and to remind you who I am, he says, I'm the Lord God of Israel. I brought you, look at your history, I brought you out of Egypt. Remember Egypt? Remember Egypt? Remember slavery? Remember where your people once were? Remember the things that you, yeah, we, talk, we talk about as African-American slavery, but, but let's look at how we were all sinners. We were all dead in trespasses and sins. But then when we look at our heritage and look at our legacy, we begin to look at how far the Lord has brought us as a people group. And he says, but how did you get here? It wasn't, yeah, the marches and the protests and all the other laws and everything else. But the truth of the matter is that the Lord, the Lord brought us up out of the situations that we were once in. He says, I brought you out. It was my hand. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, out of the hand of those who oppress you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Wow. He says, and gave you, you see, I, I, the, the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just or for the righteous. He said, I gave you what they once occupied or what they once managed. He says, also I said to you, he just reminds this prophetic word, I am the Lord your God. First of all, do not fear the gods of the Amorites. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites. Now, now, the gods of the Amorites, they had a certain god that they worshipped. We, we talk about Baal Peer, but that was another one. Baal, uh, it, it was Baal, it was, he was called Amur. A-M-U, I think it's A-M-U-R-R-U. It was this god called Amur. Amur. He was the mountain god. The god he was a mountain god. Now, we understand early on, we mentioned, they were driven where? They were in the strongholds. They were in dens. You see that now? They're in the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, the Midnights came up. So they're hiding in caves. But because what happens, if you really want to be candid about it, you come to the place of understanding that the, 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 the Amorites, that was there. They worshipped the mountain god. 
In other words, you have entered into the place of my worship. So therefore, I have an advantage over you because I worship the place you're hiding in. You're hiding in the mountains, and we worship the mountains. <laughs> he says, so, um, he says so do, but he tells them, don't fear their gods. Don't be afraid of their gods, of the, Amor uh, of the Amorites, the, god, the, the mountain gods, the mountain god. He said, and it had another god they worship. Uh, they called they several gods. It was also the moon god. Now, you know the moon is. The moon is the reflection of the sun. Look at this now. So we're talking about a reflection of light. Not light direct, but the reflection of light. He said they worship uh, the moon. They worship the moon god. And, and guess what the moon god was called? Sin. Isn't that something? <laughs> the moon god sin. What do you say? In other words, it's like saying you, you don't have direct light, but you have a reflection of that light. I'm not saying the moon itself is bad, but I'm just trying to show you their activity of worship. It was a reflection. Even if they worship the sun, there were those that worshiped the sun. That's still uh, idolatry. But they're worshiping the moon, the moon god. Uh, and, and, and also the Babylonian god. Not only, they worship the Babylonian god Marduk. Uh, what is, that, that's the spirit of nature. The spirits of nature. Now, now we see a lot of that coming back in the 21st century where people are into the place where now all this new age stuff, they, they, they're going back into all of these places and they're digging up all these gods that was spoken of here. And they don't even know it. Even know it. But, but now they get the place. It's not just trying to help it. But now it becomes, it, it becomes a religious thing to, 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 uh, to, to, to do a particular thing as far as health. You know what I mean. Eastern mysticism and all that. Kind of stuff. You better be careful with that. All you're doing is going back and, 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 and grabbing hold of these gods that uh, we saw even back. Where do you think they came from? But they resurfaced in, in, in the east. But here they worship this. He says, in whom land you dwell. They pick it up. They say, because if you go into those territories, God gave you those territories not to adapt to the, to, to the environment or to the gods that were there, but to bring your God in there. You, you see this. America was the same thing. We weren't, to, to, when we invite people in the, uh, and, and, and have people come and understand immigrations. It is not to come in and adapt all the gods that would be brought into this country, but if anything, to influence those that come here to know who our God is. It's not just a matter of because, understand, we don't, we don't go back to the thing of Constantine where we force it upon any to worship, but our influence must be strong enough that they will desire because they see the benefits that can be derived by worshiping the one true and living God. And in fact, that's one thing I'm emphasizing now is that uh, 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 God is going to give more evidence because we mentioned that our, our, ours must be a response to God's initiative. Now, now uh, those of us who know the Lord, yet those of us who know the Lord, then here we consecrate ourselves so that that which God 
is initiating can be done through us. Am I making sense here? That which God is, is initiating can take place through us. So now it is saying that what happens, we responded to God's initiative. That's the invitation. God did something. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We respond to that. That's how we became saved, by responding to God's initiative. But now that we have received from the Lord, then we consecrate ourselves so that we become conduit in his hands so that that which, that which God has blessed us with can become a blessing to others. And that's it. Because what happens if you're always on the receiving end, if it's all about what can I get, how much can I get from God, then we missed it. We missed the point. But how much now, since God has already given us all things that pertains to life and godliness, how much of what I've received from God must I give? The grace of God must be distributed to the entire world through those who have received from him. So now we begin to see that, that uh, the spirit, here they are, we're in this land. He said, but you have not obeyed my voice. Are you seeing something? He said, now, now I did all this, this is a prophetic word. I've done all these things for you, but you've not obeyed my voice. I said some things to you, and, and, and I, I'm saying some things to you now, but you've not listened to me. That's really what he was saying. This is a prophetic word that was given at that particular point. He says, so, so we go further. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the Tebrinth tree, which was in Ophrah. Not Oprah, Ophrah. <laughs> which belonged to Joash, the Abizirite. While his son Gideon, here's Gideon now, threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now you got to see his position. He's at the threshing floor trying to hide the wheat from the Midianites. He said, now, in other words, he's scared. He's scared. He, he's afraid that, that they're going to come in and, and take stuff from him, uh, from them. But watch what happened. But the, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You, as you look around then, who in the world could he be talking to? He said, the Lord is with you. Where? Where is he with you? Where is he with you? Right there where you're hiding at the threshing floor and you are hiding the wheat. The Lord is right there with you. The Lord is right there with you. And not only that, he didn't say the Lord is with you. As he is saying to all of us, the Lord is with you. The Lord is wherever we are. The Lord is wherever you are. But then he says, but he's with you. But then he talks about his call. His call was an upward call. You are. Not that you are going to become this. You are this. But you haven't realized it as of yet. You are a mighty man of valor. You are a mighty, mighty man of valor. I have called you by your name, and you are to live up to the name to which I have called you. 
You are a mighty man of valor. Now, this is when he was Gideon alone. You see, we talked about the other names that, uh, that he receives, Zerubbabel and, 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 and the other names. But, but here he calls him when he was just Gideon. He said, he said, what am I doing? I'm calling you a mighty man of valor. Now, that word means he, the word Gideon, we mentioned he who cuts down. He who cuts down. That's the word uh, Gideon. He says, but you are a mighty man of valor. Now, when he called him a mighty man of valor, I'm certain Gideon was wondering, how could he call him that? So Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us. <laughs> he said, now listen to the call very carefully. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor, but he automatically saw that that call was not just to him, but it was to him for his people. You, you see how he stretches us beyond. We talk about others. God took him beyond himself. I have called you because if you're to be a mighty man of valor, then your life is going to affect many lives. In fact, your people are going to be blessed through your being blessed. But that's what I've called you. I've called you to lead. I've called you to provide leadership for your people. He says, so he called him. He says, what, he said, if the Lord, he, then he says, if the Lord is with us, because in his mind, it looked like the Lord wasn't even with any of them. He has abandoned, he has forsaken Israel. He has forsaken his own people. He says, he says, if the Lord is with us, when are, why are all of these things happening to us? Now, have you been there? If the Lord is with us, then why are all this stuff happening? If the Lord is with us, the Lord, you, you, you heard a message so many times in this pulpit that the Lord is with you and, and you're suffering. You're going through something. And, and the, I'm saying the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. His hand is mighty upon us. Well, where is he? If he was with us, then why are all of these things happening to us? Wait a minute now. You're questioning God's love. You're questioning his love. You're questioning his integrity. You're questioning his personhood. He says, I am the Lord your God. Remember your history? I brought you out. I brought you out. And I'm the one that can bring you in. But I'm calling you now. And what am I calling you? A mighty man of valor. I'm calling you a mighty man of value. You're going to be, you're, you're going to be, you're going to win some battles now. You're getting ready to, to attain some victories because I'm calling you away from the threshing floor and I'm calling you to the front line of the battle. This is God's call. He says, so now, he says, he, he, he's saying, and, and he says, now, if I'm a mighty man of valor, then why are these things happening to us? And the second thing, and where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? He says, he says, now, if the Lord is with us, then where is his miracles? Where is his miracles? Where are the miraculous wonders of God? You got to hear this message because I'm trying to pinpoint us as to where 
we are and where God is concerning us. He said, why? You, you, you talk about all the miracles of the past. You talk about all the great things God did back then. What is God doing now? What is God doing now? Why aren't the same things happening here in 2022 as you speak of them back in 1980 and 1982 to and 18, uh, 1983 and those other years? Why aren't those things happening the way they were happening now? That's the question that many will begin to ask and understand this. And there are many that God has called, they're still hiding. They're hiding their stuff, scared that the enemy is going to take from them the stuff that God had permitted them to manage. He said, where's all my, I mean, I, so he says, so you're a mighty man of valor. You're a mighty man of valor. Where are the miracles? We mentioned miracles are instantaneous. We understand that there are miracle signs and wonders. There's also healing. But understand, he did no mighty works in his own hometown, Nazareth, but he healed a few minor ailments. Are you hearing something? A few minor, a few minor ailments. Because why? Their unbelief. Their unbelief. They could not gain as much traction as God would have them to gain because of their unbelief. They did not believe the word that had been spoken. So therefore, their behavior, their activities continued on as it was before they heard. Nothing changed about them, even though the word had gone forth. So the Lord, Jesus said, I could not do any, I couldn't do any mighty works. Now, if he can't do any mighty works, you best believe we can't do anybody works in an environment of doubt and unbelief. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it is a matter of taking the word. It's never too late, but we must hear and adhere to what the word of God is in fact saying. There's too much at stake. There's too much to be lost if we don't take the word of God to heart. So then he goes on to say, he's asking about the miracles. He's asking about the things that God would do if, in fact, he was a mighty man of battle, of valor, rather, and if the Lord was with us, if the Lord was with us, where are the miracles? Our fathers talked about what happened in Egypt, but now here's, here's where he was now. But now the Lord has forsaken us. Now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. The Lord has forsaken. The Lord has forsaken us. The Lord has turned his back on us. The Lord has turned his back. You, you, you see what happens. It, it is a person. We, he, they saw themselves as orphans. They saw themselves as orphans. Their father had abandoned them. And the Lord is saying, Look what he's saying here. Uh, when, when you get a place, you say, Lord, he says, I'll never leave you. He says, I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. That's the promise that God has made. We have to hold on to what God has said to us. He said, the Lord has forsaken us. Then the Lord turned to him and said, he said, go in this might of yours. 
and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said, O Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. Now understand now, he was from the poor tribe of Manasseh. That was a poor group of people. And he was the youngest of his siblings. So he was the least likely to be selected. He says, so I'm of the weakest clan. And I am the youngest in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, that's why I said not many wise, not many prudent, not many noble or called. See, God take the weak things to confound the wise, the things that are not, I mean, the things that are not to bring to the end the things that are. He says, and the Lord says, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, if, if now I found favor in your sight, then he said to the Lord now, if I found favor in your sight, he said, give me a sign. Give me a sign that it is you who is talking with me. I make sure it's you now, Lord. He said, do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. I want to, I want to offer something to you. And then he said, I will wait until you, I'll wait you get back. So Gideon went out, prepared a young goat. He prepared a sacrifice. I'm going to read quickly here. And the angel put out the end of the staff. He received the, the, the uh, sacrifice that Gideon offered to him. And when you see the offering, he did that to show that God had, when God receives our offering, when God receives offering, that's also a, a, a good sign. I'm not talking about, so you gave, but I'm talking about receive from the heart. He said, an angel of the Lord put his, you know, the staff and uh, was in his hand and touched the meat and uh, the unleavened bread. The fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat. The fire. Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. The devil, you see that. You start with the Holy Ghost. So, so let me move on. Let me move on because I got to just a few minutes to go. So then, as we begin to look at all the stuff, so when God received the, the sacrifice, then that gave him the courage to move forward. You go down to verse 28. I'm just going to move it forward. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar bell torn down. Look what he did now. Now that he had received the sacrifice. See, I can't really rush that part. Then he received the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, this is verse 22. He said, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace to this day. It is an offer of Abiezerite. And now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young, he made another sacrifice, you see, cut it. And then with that courage, he went out and defeated, uh, tore down the altars of Baal. That's what I want to get to. He tore down the altars of Baal and the wooden images. You see what happened? Then there was a destruction that take place. All of the stuff that, that, that produced fear, the things that produced anxieties, the things that his people had 
adapted to, he came in and started tearing all that stuff down. You see, and that's what has happened in our situation too. The people have adapted to a lot of stuff. You got to tear that stuff down. I believe God does that. What, what if you rely on other than God? You start seeing that stuff demolished before your very eyes. What I thought, I thought this would save us. I thought, I thought politics would save us. I thought it's not by uh, our armies could save us. I thought this could happen or that could happen. The Lord come, you see, what happens, the strength of God, when you really have the zeal of the Lord, you get to the place, you say, I don't rely on anything or anybody other than the Lord. So what happens, he sacrificed the Lord, but he tore down the altar of the Baal. And then the wooden, uh, wooden image was beside, it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on, uh, on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? When they had inquired, he said, Gideon, the son of Joash. He said, who messed up our stuff? He said, that's saying that guy. Now, now, I want you to understand what happened. As a result of that, he became a greater enemy. He became a greater enemy. We have to kill him. See, he's messing up our stuff. He's messing up. He's messing up, uh, up the things that we have put together. He came in and tore it all down. He is a destructive force. And we have to, he don't realize that it's the zeal of the Lord working. So then Gideon, I'm moving fast, fast now. Gideon, verse 36, he says, uh, so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you said, I'm going to put a fleece out here. I'm going to put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece only, and it's dry on the ground, on all the ground, then I know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And, he, and it was so. He, God, God honored that. When he rose early the next morning, squeezed the, the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece. And it was very wet, so much. A bowl full of water came out of the fleece. Then Gideon said, he said, I, I, I see, Lord, you showed me that you, 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 you did that. He said, but don't be angry with me. I'm, I'm going to ask you one other thing now. But let me speak just one more time. Put another test. Let me test. I prayed just one more with, with this fleece here. Let it now be dry <laughs> on the fleece. But all the ground, let's reverse the order. Let, let, let it be dry and let that be dew around it. And the Lord did that that night. It was dry on the fleece only. And the ground was wet. Well, he said, oh, it must be God then. You, it must be you, Lord. Just put me out here. He said, now I want you to fight against the Midianites. I want you to go, but I don't want you to fight against you. I want you to go into their camp and fight against them. I want you to go to the enemy's camp and defeat the enemy in his own, in his own turf. He says, now they're outnumbering you. They're going to outnumber you. But if I could do all this, you put me to the test. I've proven I'm God. So the Rubable, now you call him Zerubable now because he, he's ready to tear up something. Zerubable, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod so that the camp of the, Midians, the Midianites was on the north side of them in the hill of Moriah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you, he said, I got an army now. There are too many 
for me to give the Midianites into your hands. He said, because Israel will claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. You start getting the big head and say, we did it because we got a lot of folk. We got a lot of numbers. And we got bragging rights because of the numbers we have. He said, now therefore claim, therefore proclaim to the hearing of the people. He said, whoever's fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. What he was doing in that natural process. He said, if he's scared, let him go back home. If he's timid, the timid ones, we release everybody scared, stay home. If you're scared, don't come around here. And look what happened. And 22,000 of the people returned. Look at you talking about church shrinkage. <laughs> 22,000 returned. 22,000. Now, now, they had 32,000 folk, but 22,000 left and only 10,000 remained. So they lost over two-thirds of their congregation. And he said, well, that's church growth for you. <laughs> but then the Lord said to Gideon, after he's down to 10,000, then the Lord said to Gideon, he said, the people are still too many. He said, bring them down to the water and I'll test them for you. I'll test you for you there. He says, I'll test them for you there. Now, I like the words. He says, I'm going to test them for you because you don't want to enter into this battle with people that's not ready. They're not fit for the battle. He says, so the things that's happening, I'm testing them for you for the battle. He said, now I'm going to give them the water test now. He said, here's the water test. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you. The same shall go with you. And whom I say, and whomever I say to you, this one not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And here's how he did it. He said, he said, everyone who laughs the water with his tongue will get down his knees to drink. In other words, like a dog, he'd get down and put his head down and he started laughing with his tongue. He said, he said, I'm telling you right now, they ain't ready. They're not ready. He said, because they're reckless. They're reckless. Now, first of all, you got folk that's afraid. Now you got a people that's reckless. They don't care. They say, look, right now, right now, I, I'm busy. I'm, uh, you see, no harm can come to me because uh, right now, God got it. I'm just going to drink and drink and drink. I'm going to eat and eat. You see, they're reckless. They're not aware of the fact that they're in a war. They forgot that they're in a war. They're too busy enjoying uh, the water to realize that this is still a battle. He said, so when they left like a dog, these reckless ones, he said, forget they're in a the battle, too busy quenching their thirst or feeding their appetites. He said, and the number of those who lap put their hands in the, uh, to their mouth with 300, uh, uh, but then there are those that will put their hands to their mouth. And what they're doing, they're still watching. But they're drinking and watching, watching, praying. 
You see, they ain't just praying, but they're watching him pray. They're looking around. They're observing the environment that's all around him. They say, look, you see, because if I'm drinking now, I might, you see, a fireman has to be ready to come down that pole at any given moment. He can't wait. Well, let me wake up. Oh, Lord, let me get a little breakfast. Man, the house burned down by the time you get ready to get to, to, to the fire. He says, but you see, instant in season, out of season. Those that, that it don't take a whole lot of prep time to get that person in, uh, activated. He said, if they, if they drink and they are ready to go to battle at any moment, if they see the enemy moving in their direction, they can drop whatever they're doing and they can fight. He said, how many? We're going to have 10,000. He said, so the only ones that did that was only 300. They lapped. He says, he said, but 300 who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go. Everyone, let him go home. Let him go to his place, whatever his place is. See, in other words, he didn't just tell him to go home. Go to his place because he got his own place. Let him go to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. And he sent away all the rest. So now what happens, the ones that's going to fight, he provisions, but now they got trumpets in their hands. He sent the rest away, the rest of Israel, every man to his tent and retained the 300 men. But the camp of the Midians were below him in the valley. You still got all those numbers waiting on you to fight. Happened on the same night, the Lord said to him, arise and go against the camp. Go to the enemy's camp. For I have delivered it to your hand. Now, it took all that to prove to him that God was with him. But he said, but if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and after your hand shall be strengthened to go against the camp. He said, now get a spy. And they went down with Purah and his servants to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. But the, and now the Midianites and the Amalekites all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number. Can't even number the number of folk there. Like the sands, like the sand of the seashores in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man, here what happened, another, another prophetic dream now. He had a dream to his companion. The prophetic dream. He said, you know what I saw? I, I had a dream to my surprise he said, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of the Midian. Now, I wonder why we said barley. And it struck the tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. It wasn't a boulder, not even a stone. But, you know, we call, we call bread in our day light bread. <laughs> yeah, a loaf of light bread. <laughs> he said, it won't take a lot of heavyweight stuff. We can whoop them with a loaf of light bread. Then the companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of, he said, that dream that you had, nothing but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel, and a man of Israel, into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. So with that dream, what does he have? He came in there with 300 men, they still have their trumpets. Now, we talk about 
the things that they had. They had a trumpet, and they had torches, they had a torch, and they had a pitcher. You know, we know the, the trumpet, the word of God, blow the trumpet in Zion. We see the pitcher, uh, the pitcher was there. And, and, and uh, what he did with the pitcher, he said, break the pitcher. <laughs> he said, break the pitcher now. And, and when you break the pitcher, that, that, that's brokenness. That, that's, that, that, that's your uh, uh, humility and your, your, your yieldedness to God. He said, so break the pitcher. He said, but then you also have the fire because your strength is the strength of the Holy Ghost. It is the, when the clarion call goes forth, the gospel message, he said, blow the trumpet. He said, break the pitcher. Break the pitcher. And he says, and the torch is in your left hand. He said, cry the sword of the Lord in Gideon. And every man stood at this place all about the camp and the old army began to run and cry and fled. fled. And when 300 blew their trumpets, and the Lord set the whole camp, and the army fled to Beth Acacia, towards Zerarath, Zerarath, I guess all these words. <laughs> they were running now. And as they ran, we know the story. Gideon won the battle. Gideon won the battle. But it's really the Lord that won the battle for Gideon. So when he, when he had beat them all, when he had defeated them all, then in verse 22 it says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. He says, so now we're we ready to submit to you. We're ready to surrender to you. You rule over us. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. He said, because it was really, they, it was really the Lord that gave us this victory. It was the Lord. And, and understand, I'm trying to get your attention off of me, even though, that's what he's saying, even though he was the one that was being used. But I want your attention to be focused upon the Lord. Because even without me, even when I'm gone, the victory is still yours. Because the Lord that brought about victory for Gideon is the same Lord. That's to give you the victory, not only for you, but for your children and also for your children's children. So we thank you, Lord, for the victory. We thank you, Lord, that you're teaching us even through the life of Gideon that we can trust you and that what you did you're still capable of doing now. But it's yours to do. But it's ours to trust. So Lord, may we 
be valiant. May we realize that you called us to that which is much greater than we could do ourselves. But with you, we're more than the majority because it's your battle. Even though we may be used by you, but it's your battle and it's you that provide the victory. So tonight we give you the praise, even for this church, Lord. Lord, as we look at those who are being qualified to fight, those that are being stirred up within their hearts, their souls, to stand on the battlefield again, even though they may be hiding at the threshing floors, hiding their wheat, afraid that the devil's going to take everything from them. Because Midian represents the devil to us. He's a thief that steals, kills, and destroys. But Lord, we thank you that we have a covenant with you, that you are covenant-keeping God, and we're here to receive the benefits of being in right relationship with you. So tonight, we give you the praise and the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.